The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, April 18th. And at this hour, if you are new to New York real estate and you've come across the term sponsor listing while scanning the ads, you may be wondering what it means. If you already know, you're probably wondering how to find one. Our panel is here today, of course, to discuss the merits of such a purchase or not. And also at this hour, a deal to restore the 421A tax break now named the Affordable New York City Housing Program has people predicting yet another rush for residential development and new condos here in the city. Plus, the panel is here for Hot Topics, but first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. I am your host, Vince Rocco, and if you want to call into the program this morning, the number is 1-866-472-5788. That is 1-866-472-5788. All right, here's a bit of trivia, and unfortunately, last week, no one knew who Greta Garbo was because the room was filled with millennials. Millennials. And I'm thinking, so I'm not even going to ask you Who's all. That? I'm ah, gonna, I'm, Niall doesn't know either. Either. I have no ah. idea. My God. And all right, I listeners, to my family that's Niall who does not know who Greta Garbo <laughs> is. Just call me out, Louise. I don't either, Louise. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm not alone here. Clearly, not alone you guys here. Weren't, bought, you weren't born in the okay, 60s. Okay, so I went home over the weekend and said, uh, asked a couple of the millennials that were around the dinner, uh, dinner table for Easter, and they all looked at me like, who? So... But what do we got? But but Greta Garbo was a big Hollywood star. They were like, "Is Greta Garbo who's bringing the chocolate?" Audrey Hepburn. That's what they were asking. Yes, Audrey Audrey Hepburn. Hepburn. In that kind of you know, Nile. Oh wow, Audrey Hepburn style. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, he's like, "I'll go right out of his head as soon as the show is over." (laughs) All right, so here's a bit of trivia. How many of you remember the television series The Jeffersons? The Jeffersons on Weezy. Okay, me and you. Everybody calls me Wheezy, moving up to Jefferson's. And there you go. Well, in the popular mid-70s TV series, The Jeffersons, the Jefferson family moves on up to the Upper East Side, leaving their neighbor Archie Bunker and his show All in the Family Behind in Queens. But moving to the Upper East Side was quite a bit more realistic for an upwardly mobile family back in the 1970s. The reason we bring this up is because George's character moved his family to 185 East 85th Street between Lexington and 3rd Avenues, this according to the New York Times, and he probably got a sweet deal back in the 70s. It was a buyer's market at the time, and a three-bedroom apartment in the area could be had for just $150,000, according to Realtor.com. Go figure. Today, the apartment would have cost several million and One of the most interesting aspects of the Jeffersons, which ran for 10 years on uh, local television, was it portrayed living conditions in the city fairly accurately, unlike most sitcoms of that era. Most of the buildings (laughs) on Park Avenue and Fifth Avenue are difficult co-ops to get into. We'll talk about that later. That would have been especially true for people of color at the time. A little
little bit of fictional history. So just with all my real estate experts here in the room this morning, three bedroom, Upper East Side, 85th between Lexington Avenue and um, 3rd Avenue, ballpark a, a, a purchase price. He paid probably 150 in those days, $150,000. What is it worth today? Three bed co-op or condo? I missed that Co-op, one. co-op. Probably around mid threes. I would say between two eight to mid three, depending on. Uh, of course, Louise has to get more accurate you know, than I exposure am. Is, is it, yeah, <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. Well, if I remember the show, I mean, you know, you looked out. There was a balcony, and there was beautiful, you know, the backdrop of New York City and and all that wonderful um, New York City view. So. I mean, it is fictional, but those apartments and those prices did exist in those days. Very, very interesting. Anyway, moving on. Today, we have a very special panelist joining us. His name is Julian Berkeley, and he is Managing Director of Sales Eastside for Compass. Julian joined Compass from Corcoran, where he worked as an agent on the Carrie Chang team, widely considered the number one agent in New York. I don't know anybody who doesn't know Carrie Chang. Prior to Corcoran, he was associated with Douglas Elliman. Julian is also a licensed attorney. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm Thanks fine. Thanks for having me. Tell us about the attorney stuff quickly. I uh, trained as an attorney in Portland, Oregon, where I grew up. I turned that into real estate development, started writing offering plans for the developments I was uh, wow. building, and then moved to New York City and came into real estate. So I've been in real estate for over 23 years. I love your voice. Oh, thank I know you. me too. Guy, Julian, me too. you don't look like Let's you could be in real estate talking. 23 years. You look so young. Well, well thank you probably you. are young. Can I borrow your accent sometime? You can. Oh, good. Okay. okay. I have I a date tomorrow. Let's say I'll, I'll bring it. <laughs> Accents get you all the time. Give us a background on your experience, especially working on the Carrie Chang team. So you, you, you were an attorney. You did new development, road offering plans. I can't even imagine that. Right. You come to New York City and you you get into this wonderful world, this big world of New York real estate. Tell us about your start there and working on the Carrie Chang team. Absolutely. So I actually started as a property manager. So I saw that side of the business, which was very interesting, working with car boards and condo boards. Subsequently joined Daniela Kunin over at uh, Douglas Elman. Yeah. Sold hundreds of co-ops with her and learned that side of the business. And that's actually how I met Carrie Chang. I helped one of her buyers get through a... Board interview, we were selling the property, we had the listing, uh, did the board package with her associate at the time, and then she recruited me because he was leaving. And it was an interesting meeting. Yeah, I'll bet. How <laughs> many Nobody says no to Carrie Chang. Yeah. <laughs> Little shout out for Carrie. Nobody does. Go. How long did you spend on that team? Uh, with Carrie, three and a half years. Nice. You know, she... Every time I'm involved in a townhouse, for some particular reason, east side, west side, whatever, her name is always there. Her name always pops up. She's right in the middle of that she whole. She makes it her business. That whole mix. Um, so you also got involved in townhouse sales, I would assume. Yes, that's correct. Interestingly, Carrie didn't sell that many townhouses before 12 to 13 years ago. And she said to herself, this is an untapped market. Very few people do it. I'm going to learn every single townhouse on the Upper East Side, and I'm going to become an expert. And, and, and she did. And she, yes, she really, did. she really did. She's she's actually a pleasant uh, person to work with. I've shown many of her houses. So, how you know why? I ask this of all big teams when they come come to the show here. So, what what makes that team so successful? Is it Carrie herself? Is it all the people? I mean, obviously next to you being successful. But what makes that team so successful and so long in the business? I think it comes from Carrie. Certainly, I mean, she's a unique individual. Uh, very few people work as hard as her. She is nonstop thinking about real estate. It's hard to imagine what it's like until you sit in that office and with dancing. her. Yeah, dancing too. And uh, see her work. 
And every single morning I'd get in at nine o'clock, she'd ring, ring and say, Julian, these are the 15 things you need to do today. Then she would call me back and say, did you do this, 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 this? And it's nonstop thinking how to get the deal done, who to put into the property, who to connect. She's constantly thinking of connections. And, and one of the things which I admire and I sort of see a little bit of myself in is that, you know, she is an amazing delegator. And so, you know, there's, there's when Carrie has her mind set on something, she has one agenda and then she has a team of people to sort of clean up the wreckage and dot the I's and cross the T's, which I kind of tried to adapt that <laughs> because I, think that's a, a, because that's I know my strengths point. and, and yeah. I, and there are those, you know, the devil's in the details. Um, she's, she, like myself, I'm, be, I'm a bigger picture person. Right. She's intense. You can tell when you show in a good way. You can tell when you're showing with her. She's 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 present and she's doing her thing. But you can see that there are lots of stuff you know turning in the in the background. Moving on to today's current market conditions. I mean, we've gone through so many you know upheavals and flat lines and and whatever. And lots of people feel that you know the market is slowly kind of inching back. What is your opinion on where we are today, uh, April two thousand seventeen? I think we're actually compared to last summer, last uh, fall, whatever. I think we're actually in a good spot. I think there's more stability in the market because people know the pricing. It's not overpriced the way it was. I see a lot of buyers engaged. I see a lot of buyers who are actually deciding to go into the market because they're worried about interest rates going up. So And they're it, liquid on the yeah. sidelines waiting. Exactly. I think that they're being decisive when they see the right apartment at the right price and moving forward. So it's been very, very active in all price ranges. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the price the price point. So you're seeing it across uh, multiple different price uh, ranges in this town. So let, let's talk a little bit about the interest rates. How has it affected the market so far with, I think, two increases since last fall, potentially one more coming in the near future? What is that doing to the buyers out there? Is it helping the buyers feel more confident in buying or pushing them to buy, or is it kind of you know keeping them guessing? I'm seeing it pushing people to buy, actually. They're worried getting about the, the rates fence. going. Yeah, getting off the fence, as Louise said. I mean, people don't want to miss uh, buying now for increases in the future. So they're saying, let's do it now. A lot more refinances, too. I'm actually in the process of refinancing myself. Right. Yeah. I think you also, um, I think that, y- y- you know, we've experienced this amazing opportunity across 42 states, not just in New York City, where it is cheaper to own than it is to rent. And um, that'll be an interesting model to watch that shift over time. But people who are doing looking to secure a buy for the next 10 years of their lives, that's true also for the, for the first-time buyer um, to purchase as much apartment as they can because the buying power is so much stronger today. Plus, plus, you have to think about just like not just the interest rates, but then the run on the stock market. You know, people there's like the the money effect. So people feel like they have more money and they feel richer. Mm-hmm. So when they have that feeling, you know, then they go out and then and then you, you couple that with rising interest rates, and then all of a sudden they're, they're saying, "All right, I've been on the sidelines. I've been thinking about it for a while." And then you see the the sellers becoming more realistic with pricing. It's kind of leveling a little bit. You know, they realize that there's deals to be had, and then if they find it. They're ready to go. That's a, that's mm-hmm. at least what I'm seeing, and I, I think you know Julian said that as well. In 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 general, in terms of the buyers out there, there in um, New York City is that buyers are also this 
point much more open to buying things that need construction and work on them because yeah. they can lock them in and get it at a low interest rate and put the money that they would have spent into updating that apartment and living there and rather than along the lines also um, of refinancing. Well, that's how you build equity too. You yeah. know, that, that's a, it's a great opportunity across the board. New developments are really hot in this town, have been hot in this town, I mean, probably all of my 15-year career in this business. What does our current pipeline look like? I mean, you hear things like it's taking, you know, on-site sales representatives a lot more time between making a deal and getting a contract signed and then, of course, you know, closing. So, you know, years ago… There were, you know, um, restrictions or there were, you know, there was time you had to have a contract signed, I think, in 10 days or less. Things are taking a lot longer today. So what does the pipeline look like today out there in new development in general in New York City? I think we still have a lot of properties that are going to come online. It was interesting. I was sitting with Michael Stern about uh, a month and a half ago. And he was saying that a lot of developers that he knows are actually going to not go forward with projects. So I don't think we have a totally clear picture of where the new development pipeline is going to end up. I think we're seeing less applications at the start of this year for new developments. I was seeing some developers sit on the site and developers like Michael Stern actually doing a lot of lending now rather than going out and buying properties, which is a shift. So I don't think we have an absolute clear picture of where the pipeline is. I think there's a lot still to be built. All right, we have have to leave it right there and take a break. I'm Vince Rocco. You are listening to Good Morning New York, and we will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. As a real estate agent, driving results is everything. I once had a buyer who bought a penthouse within 48 hours of seeing it. Well, naturally, the seller was thrilled to make a deal after only one showing. A year later, I sold the same unit for a million dollars over what it sold for just one year before. When the original seller learned this, he told me how much he wished he had hired me in the beginning because he would now be a million dollars richer. So what did he do? He's hired me ever since. I'm Julie Johnson with CORE, and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back with Julian Berkeley from Compass, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, now Lundgren from Compass, Edie Kriegstein from Core, and Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead Property, Halstead Real Estate now. Excuse me. All right. We were talking about new development. Let, let me just ask you, uh, Julian, who, so who, who, are pu- who is putting projects on the market and then who is holding back? I mean, you mentioned before that some developers are kind of holding back. 
for a, a variety of reasons. But who is actually going to market with new projects right now? I think the developers who have to come to the market and can't uh, hold off. Again, going back to Michael Stone, he's holding off on some of his developments because he can afford to do it. The developers who owe money to the bank and need to move forward and don't have the choice are coming to the market. Uh, you know, Joe Chatreed's doing a big project mm. up in the Bronx, which is, is nice to see. So I think the developers like Joe and are moving forward with their projects. In your opinion, how is that going to work out up in the Bronx? Because we're hearing so much about the South Bronx, the new it neighborhood yep. or whatever. How is that going to work out? We'll see. I mean, time will tell. It'll be like Harlem. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for people. I have some friends who live up there. I visited them five years ago. They said, you should be buying up in the South Bronx. So we'll it's, see. It's true. I've been saying for the last two years, if you take a look at the acquisitions, um, you know, the Bronx, I, I've been involved with the Bronx Museum, and I have some public schools that my nonprofit works in. So I'm very familiar with all of that area. And we just partnered with the New York Yankees. Go! Um, oh, yeah. But but I will say that land acquisitions are 500 to 600% cheaper than it is in yeah. Queens and Brooklyn, not mm. even Manhattan. Exactly. So um, with the 100-year... <clears throat> anniversary of the concourse uh, and and the push that the government has been giving to affordable housing, but also the infrastructure in the Bronx, we are going to see that. Mm. And I've been saying that for two years now. Um, so I have some of my own developers that are looking at opportunity there. You have to sit on the panel in a couple of weeks. We have the Bronx Borough President, Ruben Diaz, coming back for a, a second visit and, and basically to talk about what is exploding up there and why and who he thinks. And you should also have some cultural opportunities there <clears throat> to talk about the partnerships that those those um, kinds of uh, venues are providing. Well, we'll do that. We'll consult on that. So let's move on. Um, and this is for everybody here. So if you're new to New York real estate and you've come across the term sponsor listing while scanning the ads, you may be wondering what it means. If you already know, you're probably wondering how to find one. And I remember before I was in real estate, I was still in corporate and I was looking to buy my first apartment. I remember saying, well, what what is a sponsor unit? What does that mean? Are there certain you know, good things about that, bad things about that, whatever. And my agent at the time from Corcoran explained it to me and I thought, oh, okay, that's not bad. So let's start off with defining what is a sponsor unit and, and you know, what are some of the merits to buying a unit that's deemed sponsor. Now we're talking predominantly co-ops, uh, well, actually only, only co-ops. So Anybody. A, so a sponsor unit is actually the original owner of a building which is a rental that will be come and be converted, which I've done probably 15 or 20 of these. Yes, you have. To a condominium or a co-op. And uh, the difference between a condominium and a co-op is that a co-op is our shares of um, a corporation, which is the entity, is the building. And a condo is the brick and mortar, the actual deed to the space. Um, the great uh, positive or what I found we found historically for those people who can't get through a board approval process of a co-op and you have a no board approval opportunity with a sponsor unit that is a a great opportunity for many of us and when Luis is talking about no no board um, approval opportunity is that with because it's a sponsor unit you know a lot of times <clears> it's a reduced board package they don't have to abide in, or none at all yeah and go by the same you know approval process where yeah. you have to sit in front of the whole co-op because it's it's basically like a little bit above um, the board because it's the original owner and if, if he or she wants to sell it 
um, then he can do it. And generally, it's just a couple page application, and it's a very simple approval process. And then the the, the more important piece there is too, you know, with co ops, aside from or in addition to the the board package that you have to put together. And uh, you've got to do a board interview, a mm-hmm. personal interview. So with a sponsor unit, that that really j- they're exempt from goes that. Away. They're also exempt from the standards. If you have a fifty percent cash building or twenty five percent cash requirement, Correct. you are no longer um, required to that for that. I've also found that I think people call sponsor sponsor barbers gems. I actually like to think that I've found in the last few years that there are a lot of co-ops throughout the city that actually also have no board approval process for apartments that were bought. So the like the seller bought it from the sponsor way back when, and like like certain buildings in London Terrace do this, and oh. it's very interesting because the first resale is exempt from board approval. Exactly, right. and I think that's wow. very interesting because a lot of times when you actually do buy a sponsor apartment as louis said it's great that there is no board approval but you're also sometimes paying for you know crappy renovations and renovations that don't hold up that the sponsor did just to kind of flip it from you know a rental that was well, maybe you know rent stabilized to a, you know a sale want, and what's cool about the first resale that has no board approval is it's usually not renovated actually so i wanted, well, I wanted to talk about that you brought up the next point so let's let let's talk about what the condition of these apartments are in. And Louise, yeah, you, me, you, you me, know, I'd because like, some of them are not renovated at all, and some of them are what Matt just said, sponsor renovated, which means just sure. kind of nice nice looking, but that's it, not, my, not my, quality. My largest client, um, I've probably done $2 billion with a business with them, probably more than that. And um, 17 years ago, they were selling uh, you know, apartments in at 1155th and 39th and 310 West End Avenue, all of their buildings. They own 80 buildings. And they were un- they were unrenovated, and I was like, "You're leaving so much money on the table." And I spent for the last 15 years building out their director of construction, their in-house work, and I basically I have 39 renovations going on right now for them that will come over the, you know over the next four to five months, and they they have figured out how to do these renovations at a buck seventy five a foot which is worth 350 a foot in the market and the time value of money has been well worth it. One of the disadvantages of buying a sponsor apartment oftentimes is that the closing cost when you buy the closing costs are a bit higher. Why is that? They uh, go in the offering plan which you you will know from writing offering plans they go to the attorney general and and basically say that there's a selling fee a city tax an estate tax, this transfer tax, that they go to the attorney general and ask permission to push that off to the buyer because they're not technically a seller, they're creating the product. Like a new condo sale, basically the Correct. seller pushes everything and, off to the purchaser. And the, the truth of that is that if the market will bear it, then they get it. And if the market won't, it's a point that the first point that gets negotiated. Also, I think since you just brought up new development again, I do want to add one point to our new development conversation. I agree that there's not going to be as many projects going on in the next, you know, in the future, whenever we want to put that timeline on it, because the developers holding off, like we were talking about earlier. But I think what's really interesting and exciting right now for buyers is that a lot of projects are switching sales teams. If you notice it, um, and and that I think is a just 
process in and of itself, kind of like putting a new development on the market because it shows buyers that these developers are completely switching mindsets, they're switching plans, they're switching minds. Yeah, I, I like the word mindset. Let's stick with that. And so mm-hmm. recently, um, you know, on, on 72nd, I, I, I'm blanking on the name of the, the building, but it's, it's... West 72 it's, or East 72? It's it's right near Riverside, between Riverside and West End. The Chatham. And it's, yeah, the Chatham. Oh, so, yeah. so they just switched that from Corcoran Sunshine to Element. And that shows, like, I had two buyers call me this morning, actually, when I was, like, when I wasn't sleeping, they weren't sleeping. Right. And they called me and they were just saying, oh, interesting that they switched sales teams. I wonder what the developer's thinking. Maybe we should go back and look at it. Right. Exactly. Which makes buyers excited. And they did the same thing with 100 Barkley um, when they switched over to Cork and Sunshine from Element the other way around. I think just get overzealous and they want things to sell right away. So when you get towards the end of a selling cycle and there's, I don't know, X amount of units left. They think sometimes, and I don't know for sure, they they think sometimes that switching things up, and in this particular case, it's selling the freshness, makes, it's and the it gives freshness. them an opportunity to rebrand it. Correct. But also, HFZ, they have twelve development projects in in on the market today. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but it has it's an it, absorption. It has nothing to do with new development. I, I I'm talking about the buyers. It's exciting for the buyers because in this market, it shows that they want different a difference, a change, and that's really exciting for buyers. It's also the process of resetting, which we are still absolutely. You know, uh, um, talking about the slowdown of development is partially because those acquisition deals have hair on them or too expensive, and they can't make the numbers work. So they're going to sit. There's an efficiency. That we've seen mm-hmm. through, through the buyers, that's not that's not excluding the development opportunities. Getting back to sponsor units, so are sponsor units that are being sold are they more expensive or less expensive than any other co-op in the building, like apartment in the same stack, for example? More. You're more. paying you're paying a premium for the no board approval. You're paying a premium for and and also just the renovations. But something to keep in mind is their price literally kind of almost right directly between a co-op and a condo. Yes, right, exactly. So for someone who cannot get through a co-op board but doesn't have the amount of money to make it and get a similar-sized apartment in a condo, this is a wonderful opportunity for them, even if they have to go in and do some work because they don't like the finishes the sponsor did or didn't do, as Louise was talking about earlier. It's a value proposition for the for the con- for the condominium buyer who can't get through a board, and it's a premium to the comparables in that co-op if it's done properly. It, it yes, I totally agree with all of that. You know, the only the only issue because I've sold many um, sponsor units in in my fifteen years, but you know, the only issue that people tend to think about or have is that yes, they can get past the board stuff past the interview and all all of that, but they still have to, once they purchase, they still have to live by the rules of the co-op. And there are some people in this town who are just not oriented to living in a co-op. They don't want to feel like they're being managed. They don't want to feel like they're being told what to do. In a condo, you're pretty much on your own. Julian, question for you. In your company, and you may measure the stuff, you may not. What is the the, the difference between uh, condo sales and, and co-op sales? Do you guys look at that at Compass? When are you saying the number or difference number percentages, percentages. Percentages. I say we're probably about sixty percent condo, forty percent co-op. Really? Okay, yeah. so still forty. How about at Halstead, Louise? Do you have any any idea, or even in just your business? My own business, um, I would say of the hundred transactions I do a year, I, um, I'm probably sixty forty. 
It's probably right. Yeah. I mine mine at one point used to be eighty twenty and then, you know, in the very beginning of my career and then all of a sudden things, you know, just sort start, you know, leveling off and changing. So I probably say right now I'm still doing now more condos. So I'd say I'd say probably eighty percent condo right now right. and twenty percent color. I, I think something's really interesting to just note for the listeners that when you think about New York City, we talk about all the real estate that's out here, and I've said this before here is that we are a city of renters. Mm-hmm. It is sixty-one percent rentals, and um, only thirty-nine percent opportunity to own. One percent of that is townhouse. 25% of that are co-ops and the rest is, are condominiums, which with all of the acquisition and the building boom that we've seen with the recession and prior to since 2003, we've only gone up 2% of, of inventory and that's 6,000 units a year. The peak at 9,100 at uh, 2007 and the lowest in 2009 was 4,800. I just thought that was an interesting piece of data. And people out there have to understand that percentages also has to do with the neighborhood that we're doing business in. Because even though all of us, I like to call our generalists, we don't focus on one neighborhood in particular. There are neighborhoods that we do more business in than others. And for example, like myself, I do a lot of business in Tribeca and Harlem. The majority of apartments there are condos. So, you know, but someone like Nikki Fields, who's like my heart and soul, she does mainly Upper East Side. So she She's doing Park Avenue, Fifth Avenue. I would guarantee she says 80% of her deals are co-ops. So it depends on who you're talking to. All right, we have to leave it right there and take a break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and I'm sitting here with Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, Niall Lundgren from Compass, A.D. Kriegstein from Core, Louise Phillips-Sorbs from Halstead Property, and Julian Berkeley from Compass is still with us. All right, so moving on, a deal to restore the 421A tax break, now named the Affordable New York Housing Program, has people predicting another rush for residential condo development. There is little doubt developers plan uh, have been greatly influenced by the lucrative property tax incentive. When it appeared the 421A was in jeopardy in 2015, builders took out more than 50,000 permits to qualify for it, more than double the number the previous year. They fell by 70% last year with 421A in limbo. So far this year, the annualized rate of new permits would be about 20,000, far less than the city needs. The tax break isn't the only viable de- variable developers need to consider. However, there are reasons to doubt another boom is coming. What are our thoughts on that? So 421A has been resurrected, so to speak. Uh, Do we feel in this current marketplace that we're going to see another boom because of it? I will tell you, in a lot of new developments that I've shown in the last probably nine or 10 months where 421A did not exist or doesn't exist, Buyers are looking at that saying, you know, the monthlies are pretty high here from the onset. So what is this going to do? I think that what we're going to see is that um, in in this particular moment in time where the development deals are resetting in their acquisition numbers, that the affordable tax abatement is going to work for the outer boroughs and it's going to be more focused. We got spoiled with the idea of, you know, being able to buy a certificate and go to Florida and build or go upstate New York and Albany and build, uh, you know, 2,500 affordable housing. But the truth is, is the concentration is here. And so this is why, you know, the Bronx What's being built there, and you have the migration of Manhattan developers moving to where the opportunity is, is because the tax abatements now have been, uh, they're going to be 35 years, not 10 years. We were accustomed to that. You're going to have, and part of the reason why it expired in 2015 was because they could not get their arms around labor cost. And so um, above 96th Street, it's $45 an hour. Below, it's $60 an hour for construction labor. But we're going to see the Bronx just had $3 billion invested in 2016, which was up from $2.3 billion in 2015. And I've been saying it since 2015 that we're going to see this migration, and that's going to be enhanced by this 421A. Also... Also, to answer your question, I think that you're going to see a lot of buyers steer towards developments that were built within the last 10 years as time goes on. If for if they keep turning down 421As and they don't, they aren't successful um, in this switch. I think, you know, especially since you, what you're actually seeing with the city and the government more and more these days is they're giving abatements to buildings that were built in the last five years and um, just a little late. So I know that, what, like, what I'm. What does that mean? So meaning, like, like mean they just didn't get the certificates. They filed for them. It took them five years to get it. Well, also they they filed for a different abatement. Um, so I mean, it, what like for example, I'm I'm putting an apartment on the market today um, at Artisan Lofts in Tribeca, and they did not have a, a you know a, an abatement. And now and they filed for one once the building was already occupied, and it just got implemented actually a few months ago, and it's a J fifty one. Oh, so it's very oh, well, interesting. Yeah, well, that's a different thing. And, a little... Right, it's different, and I think that you're going to see a lot of buyers be very attracted to that 
and no, because you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting still a new building that's, you know, still pretty new construction, but you're also getting lower monthlies. Right now that do have affordable housing in them and they're new developments. And I think it comes down to working with an agent who's informed because there are buyers out there mm-hmm. that actually really do not still want to be in a building in Manhattan paying such a premium for a property, knowing that there are affordable units in it. Um, and there's a number of them, not just on the Upper East Side, but down in the West Village. And I've told and clients up front and, and they say, well, you know, with all due respect, that's just not what I want. And it's an 80-20 rule for Correct. the listeners yep. to understand that they that 20% of the building can be structured as um, a lot through a lottery, but it has to be geared for um, certain income and it's affordable housing. I'll say that the, the one of the first shifts started, and you can see it in Harlem, t- uh, 23 West 116th Street, which is a building that Halstead marketed, um, they built – the, on the other side of 117th Street, behind the building was the rental, affordable rental piece mm-hmm. of it. And 116th Street was a full out. Was the full condo. 100% yeah. uh, luxury market. And also, you know, it's, it, what do we always talk about? It's perception. Because when you're talking about the, you know, affordable housing sector of a new development or, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, middle income housing, some people develop, you know, developers call it, you know, Fifth on the park in a Harlem, buildings like that, people never had issues with it. You know, they they knew it was going on. They knew that there was a completely other side of the building that that had to do with. Um, I think it really caught buyers in that article, was it two years ago, about one Riverside Park, when they did the whole corridor? Door, I think that was mm-hmm. a huge change in people's perception. And I think that they really depicted it in a very negative way. I agree and with that. Pe- yeah, people's minds were, were changed. Let, let, let's just um, clarify for the listeners out there who are not New York savvy. And what actually is, if we talk about 421A, we talk about J51, what, what are tax abatements for the listeners out there who have no clue what we're talking about? Tax abatements are granted by the state and the city for improving the existing land. And um, for example, if you have a pre-war building that is um, a, a landlord uh, and an owner puts a new roof on, puts uh, does all the point work, replaces all the elevators, there's a formula of 80, 80 cents on the dollar, excuse me, 20 cents on the dollar allows them to have a formula of a tax abatement and it's put put together over five-year periods of time typically. And I think people out there need to understand how, for lack of better terms, crazy New York City is and how people here are just so intense about this subject because, you know, I remember when I was bringing clients to One Riverside Park and I did a few tra- transactions there and that that was the development that did the poor door article and the, and the news was, you know, in, in tons of press about it. Um, you know, Affordable housing, that's a term we really need to uh, shift. No, we need to shift it. We need to break it down because I remember that when you broke that down at One Riverside Park, we're not talking about like HDFC housing here. We're talking people who were making seventy-five dollars to $100,000 a year. But that it's is, the perception, as you said earlier, that kind of you know shifts that to either one side not so luxurious and another side super luxurious. But that's why not that, necessarily true. But that's why that word needs to be broken down right. because I personally do not consider consider that affordable housing. I consider that actually very middle income housing in a way um, in New York standards and, and very, you know, 
upper income in the rest of the country. So, uh, you know, we really need to break that. Well, I think the rise in in, in luxury, you know, uh, the Uber priced and the luxury uh, apartments in this town really kind of skewed our language with regard to affordable, with regard to middle income, lower income, you hardly ever hear about anymore. So I think because everything is so geared towards luxury, 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 that you're right. We need to probably, you know, peel that apart a little bit and and, and better explain what that's about. And, and I could go on a rant about this for hours. But one more thing, sorry, Louise. I mean, seriously, no, no, seriously. You know, the city and the government and the real estate board in New York cracks down on us brokers, and they should. It's very good that they do this. That we need to watch what we say well, very strictly. Yeah. You know, with regards to steering and you know who can live there and not not you know just directing certain people. Developers and the press need to do the same. They really need to watch how they phrase things and they need to watch how it affects people, not only in this city, but in the world, because we're talking about real estate and it affects people on a much greater scale. I just want to finish on the tax. What is the 421A tax abatement? Going back to what off of what you're saying is that when you're improving the land in new construction, they give you 100% no tax and then it amortizes over the period of the tax abatement. So if it's $100,000 for your tax, then you are going to get $100,000 off of your tax, and it will phase in over that period of time, whether it's 35 years, 20 years, 15, or 10. And when you look at it, just like the broader economic factors of having the tax ba- breaks, um, you know, you said at the beginning that, you know, if you're looking at a new development that has higher monthly carrying costs than a building, for example, that comes to market that's abated and interest rates are rising, buyers are becoming very conscious about that. They are. And Absolutely. they're ruling those, those, those unabated yeah. out immediately. And they're saying, all right, well, these are the unabated ones. I don't even want to see them because of the monthly carrying costs. Let's look at these because there's a lot of supply on the market right now. So because of that, they have more options and they're not, you know, as they can't, they actually have the luxury of being more picky with their choices. Absolutely. So I live in a building that's um, about eight and a half years old. It's a condo at the Chelsea Stratus and I've done about 50 deals there and they have a 421A, but it's coming up within a year and a half. And so one of the that's interesting right. questions that people always ask is what are the projected taxes once the abatement is done? And then they look at the price per square foot of the carrying costs, taxes and common charges together to compare that to everything else in the market. And back to Neil's wow. point, what the new construction is in Nile. the price per square foot. Nile. 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 Like the river. It's all but, good. But, but let me ask Next you something. So, <laughs> AD, let me ask you something. So that's a very good point because in a lot of buildings here in town, the the 421A, the, one of the buildings that I do a lot of my uh, listings in, we have three more years to go. Um, so what are people really thinking about? Are they thinking about selling before flips to, you know, just regular taxes or are they just going to keep it and, you know, just absorb? I mean, remember, it phases in every two years and that's also every two years, yeah. calculated through the increases of the taxes every time they get, you know, they have increases on real estate taxes mm-hmm. in general. So those, those um, it's a pretty complicated uh, formula and, you know, buyers beware, make sure your attorney is a real estate attorney and understands how the interpretation of what's currently abated and what the formula of the taxes are and the phase in because they are phased in over five years, every increase that occurs. All right. So moving on, talking about co-ops now, if you're looking to buy an apartment and a lot of the co-ops that are in your price range uh, have high monthly 
maintenance numbers. So why is there a difference between buildings? I'm not, I'm not talking about um, land lease buildings. We, we, we tackled that last week. But in some cases, building to building, east side, west side, downtown, you know, people say to me all the time, well, you know, for a like apartment, you know, three blocks up, why is the maintenance this? And now over here, it's like 10% higher. What what drives the um, the maintenance cost or price within buildings in New York City, co-op buildings in New York City? I mean, you definitely have the main factors like amenities and, you know, the size of the building for how many apartments take up the building. They obviously share the maintenance in, and it's, you know, varied in different ways. But um, there's also a lot, of, a lot of it is because your taxes are built into your maintenance. It has to do with the tax lot also. Plus you know, the and underlying, where, underlying, underlying bill, right, bill the and mortgage. mortgage. Yeah, that was that, a that's a big factor. Majority. Yeah, that's the biggest factor. Right. Like the change between we, sometimes 1000 or 2000 for the comparable right. apartment. Let's hold that thought. We're going to pick up right after this. I'm Vince Rockle. You were listening to Good Morning New York. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. My job as a real estate agent is getting clients out of bad situations and into good ones. I recently represented a seller with the highest price unit in the building, and I still received four offers right away. By the time we were ready to transact, the deal was falling apart. The top buyer pulled out, the second buyer renegotiated the price, and I don't recall what I said or how I said it, but I still got all the parties to agree to the original offer, and I closed within 30 days. Now my client calls me old honey tongue because everything I touch turns to sold. I'm Isaac Metcalf with CORE, and this is what I do. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back for our last segment. I'm here with Matthew Cohen, now Lundgren, A.D. Kriegstein, Louise Phillips Forbes, and Julian Bake, uh, Berkeley. You wanted to say something. I was just going to just uh, indicate for co-ops and, and buildings in Manhattan, about 75% of the operating costs of a co-op are fixed. And it's the underlying mortgage, it's the uh, number of staff, uh, heating, calling, insurance. So those things don't change. So we touched on it. Size of the building, underlying mortgage, and those factors differentiate buildings. 
oftentimes if you have a lot of large units or a number of units in a building, it may disperse the costs more. So if you have a building yes. with 100 units versus 15, right. you're dispersing those costs over a greater number of people, so the right. carrying costs are typically lower. Also, union and non-union on your staffing mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. And when you have an average 50-unit 50, yeah. 50 building, your payroll is between 63 and 65% if you're a union building. Yeah. So that's you can't negotiate that. Right. No, that's a very good point. All right, moving on. If you are thinking of selling your apartment, but it's not in great condition, and you've heard the standard for sale is that the apartment be broom clean with working appliances and livable, move-in ready conditions. So is there anything wrong or illegal about selling a place that needs to be emptied, cleaned, sanitized, and repaired in most cases? Now, well, we, we just talked about, we were talking about the uh, the ability to buy something that needs renovation earlier on the show. And I think, you know, if it's going to be broom clean, obviously that's not ideal for the seller in yeah. order to maximize the price. But right. that's where the opportunity lies for some buyers. And if, you know, the seller opts for, for that and if they want to keep the ugly paint job on there, then they should understand that they're not going to trade at, at a premium. And, you know, the, the agent that they're working with has to be upfront with them about, you know, that situation. But then again, as we're talking about, you know, it's shifting more towards buyers and there's a lot of you know pressure now on the on the sellers. So you know if you want to be you know getting maximum price in order to achieve what you think you can, then broom sweeping is is certainly not the uh, certainly not the option. It's also I, who the buyer is. You know, I mean, <laughs> some you know, I I do think that even though we keep talking about it's great to make your own place and renovate your own place and and not live with someone else's finishes. Um, you know, the majority of buyers I do find are not looking to gut a place. You know renovating it does take time it does take it's a process of getting things approved with both the city and your building and on top of that that money that you're you know when we're talking about apartment purchasing most people are getting mortgages the money that you use to renovate not only for the for the fixtures for the appliances for you know you're also paying for the work via the contractors and the architect that is liquid money usually banks are actually financing doing construction financing and doing renovation financing but not many and it's very difficult high yeah, interest yeah. financing so so i do find that most buyers are looking for places that are a little more Done. So I think that, you know, to any seller out there, it's worth it. And and in some cases where the seller can't afford or for some reason doesn't want to renovate or make tidy or make nice, you know, that's when we step in and suggest maybe some staging, maybe some decluttering, because I think everybody would agree. Uh, and I learned this way back before I was even in real estate as an agent, just buying real estate. Um, every apartment sells based on how it shows. And, it's and simple as that. Well, I, I kind of talk about there are three things, then, and I always refer to the three P's: it's pricing, preparation, and totally. presentation. Totally. And first impressions are everything. And mm-hmm. so, if you have an estate, you know, we I have a service, a whole division in my team where we are prepping apartments from organizing in an estate the you know Steinway to come and to determine if they're. Um, piano, what the value is to have it removed, having it painted, having the carpets pulled up. If I have built-ins, maybe we pull them out or paint them if the rooms are brown or whatever the color is. But that's $16,000 that that estate spends 
is back four to five times 100%. from just the time value of money, 100%. how long it's on the market. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on. How long can you go on the market? There's an apartment at Time Warner that has been chopped, price chopped 68% since the beginning. This condo was first listed in 2013 for $50 million. Okay, so here we are, listeners around the world, wondering what goes on in New York City real estate and why these prices. $50 million in 2013, a duplex penthouse in the Time Warner building received its sixth price cut and is now on the market for $16 million, down from 50 What a bargain. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. Change. Apartment 54 AG at 25 Columbus Circle was relisted Monday. So we talked about, you know, changing or freshening up the this on-site selling people a new development. So here on a resale side, one agent lost the, de- the, the listing and, and somebody else picked it up. This according to um, Curb. And that new agent has relisted it for $16 million. You know, I can go on and on. It's 3,500 square feet, four bedrooms owned by direct marketing mogul and self-made millionaire Cheryl Mercurius. I've never even heard of her, so I pronounce that incorrectly. It's asking price has been steadily declining since 2013. So let's, you know, let's ask the question, what, oh, by the way, Ryan Serhunt of Nest Seekers International has it currently. So that's a perfect... Why did we start at 50 million? How did we get to 16? It's a perfect example of of someone listing an, a, an apartment based on what the owner wants or what they say in order Correct. to get it. And then you chase the market. We cannot make up the market. It is no longer do you have the time that somebody's going to sail in from another country and pay some ridiculous number. So this is an example of chasing the market. And uh, yeah, Luis is right. It's it's analytics. It's facts. It's on paper there in front of you what the comps are, what things are selling at. Uh, this is just an you know it's an injustice to the dis, 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 disservice to the seller. Um, I just came man. back from a trip. Um, Do you speak and much? No, I'm 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 still warming up. Um, <laughs> and you know because of that, this is why brokers should not just take listings. Because good brokers who will truly well, educate—well, good yeah. brokers who truly educate a seller—will then, you know, if everyone did it the same way, the seller would talk to ten different brokers who told her the same thing, and she would truly choose someone who she liked the best. And then, but if someone tells her what she wants to hear, if she's unrealistic, then that is doing a disservice to her in the long run. And it it actually kind of affects the market a little bit as well. So, so Matt, just didn't just to go off of that, didn't you just do that down in Tribeca? The, <laughs> the owner uh, interviewed like five or six different agents, and you basically said, "Look, this is not what you want to hear, but this is the price that you should list and sell it at." And she actually chose you because you were the right one. Is that? No, that's exactly what happened. He's the um, right one. And Niall should be my PR guy. Um, the <laughs> no, I mean, but it's also you can't just tell someone that. I had factual yeah, 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 data. You know what I mean? And, and I said to him, truly, like eye to eye. <laughs> I was eyes to eyes. I was like, this is what it is. And and I'm telling you this because I would not take your apartment on to not sell it. That's the whole reason to. Be in this business and have a listing. And they're either going to buy that or not. I mean, exactly. Buy it from you or not. It's, and it's it's based on credibility. It's based on experience. It's based on the numbers. It's based on comps. But, you know, there are those banana head sellers out there who still say, well, I want what I want. And that's just what it is. Another good example was the Bloomberg penthouse. It was well over $100 million. It's down at, what, 67 now? I walked in there and showed it uh, two and a half years ago. I said, this is way overpriced. 
that was the one thing that Kerry was great at. She'd walk into a pitch, wouldn't say much, said, if you want to uh, pitch, if you want to list with me, I'll list it. But I'm not listing at this price. Call me when you want me, and I'll be the third broker, and I'll sell it at the right <clears> price. As it, a broke, you have to be able to say that. Well, yeah, well, I mean, but I think a lot of people don't want to lose the opportunity to grab a listing, even at those numbers. I mean, wow, who wouldn't want to have a $100 million listing? Yeah, it's unrealistic, but maybe you get the opportunity to chop that down a little bit. And of course, course it depends. Scary. And of course, we, like, we're talking very huge you know, differences, but it also depends on the variance. I mean, you know, if, if someone's talking like, you know, my apartment should be worth Two million, and we think it should be worth one point nine. Like you know, that's a totally different situation. That becomes and a strategy. Exactly. Yeah. That becomes you know, let's meet in the middle, or like you know, in it also depends on the market. We're in a market right now where people are negotiating more in Manhattan. Good example is I'm doing a deal right now in Brooklyn where with one of the top Brooklyn brokers, like in my opinion, who's amazing, um, Brent Solomon, to give him a shout out. Um, and he, you know, we had a conversation about price and he said, hey, I pricings where they seconds. should be at because it's Brooklyn and Brooklyn is a rising market. And Manhattan, in a lot of ways, is not anymore. Is not. On that note, I am out of time. That is our show for today. Thanks to my guest, Julian Berkeley, and my panel, as always. We will be back next week. Be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.